0: Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview.
1: Yes, I can clearly see that I rolled a one. (laughs) While the Yeti determines my fate, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Sanity Damage. They are an amazing D&D actual play live show. The campaign features a high seas adventure full of piracy, steampunk, and Lovecraftian horror elements. You can find Sanity Damage on any podcasting platform or watch the party live on YouTube. Catch them bi-weeklies on Thursdays at 7.30 Eastern Time on YouTube at the Homebrew d I'll throw it in the show notes to make it easy. Oh, and never let a Yeti be the DM. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: This is Brian O'Neill, your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner. I'm quite excited about today's episode because I'm sitting down with comics writer Ryan K. Lindsay to talk about his new, well, I guess it's new, new from Mad Cave anyway, uh, released Dear Editor. Ryan, greetings from the other side of the world. How are you doing today?
0: Good. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. Well, I was initially sucked in because this is just one hell of a weird concept, you know? My impression, (laughs) yeah. my impression after reading the first issue is is it's got a real fresh take on you know all these classic noir things we had come to associate with noir embraces everything we know and love about detective fiction and it's got this uniquely stylized way to go about doing it and that that uniquely stylized way is is what takes it over the top so let me set the stage um tell me if i'm doing a good job here there's john doe pun intended um there's a murder that draws in our journalist protagonist Bucky, who is a man-deer hybrid, into a, a world that includes corrupt officials, a Wi-Fi Hugh Hefner Playboy mansion stylized grotto, um, and a mysterious locker full of secrets as he attempts to solve the puzzle and write the big story, exposing the truth, and that's just the first issue. Is that about some things up?
0: Yeah, that's um that's that's a pretty good summary I think. Yeah. It's um it's 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 a strange old comic and and as you sort of alluded to, it's it's also a, an older one in that um Sammy Cavella, my 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 artist and the uh, co-creator and very dear friend, um, uh, we we created this this book together many years ago. I want to say nine, 19 years ago, and did some Kickstarters uh for the the three issue sort of mini-series story. And yeah. um, yeah, it's been sort of percolating along. We'd we'd always wanted to collect in trade. Um uh because we love this story. There's just something it just sort of I think it just intersects with a lot of things that Sammy and I like and that sort of like crime and and strangeness um and you know a, 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 an intriguing lead character like we have with Bucky, this Mandir um hybrid. Um and we just sort of it just felt really personal putting it together. I guess probably because we did work on it over a few years. Um and I think there's something really visually arresting about Bucky. It just became this thing that that Sammy and I had always wanted to try to get a collection together, um and we certainly knew that um kickstarting a trade collection is 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 no no joke. It's no fool's errand. um and I'm either too lazy to do it or was shrewd enough to wait for a publisher, which whichever one you want to go with i'm I'm totally happy with. <laughs>
1: okay. all right. Well, let me start with Bucky. Um simple question. Why a deer?
0: Um, it, it it all stemmed from um, goofing about on Twitter, uh, I guess, a good decade ago, and um, uh, talking about like I can't of I think we're talking about typos in magazines, and um, I was chatting with um, Ben Ben Rankle, who's an amazing comic creator and, and um, artist in his own right, and we we're just goofing off, and I was like, oh yeah, to be like somebody writing in deer editor to a magazine. Okay. and literally just instantly i think i followed it up with a second tweet where i was like just just legally getting in here and shotgunning the title dear editor cuz i want to make this into something um and it it all just spawned from there i think the 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 anthropomorphized sort of like hybrid main character there's just something always always cool about that um and at the time i'd been reading um ryan ferrier's tiger lawyer which was an okay. amazing um, independent comic out of Canada um, that did the same thing with a tiger and a lawyer. So I was no doubt uh, standing on his shoulders and trying to retire um, and probably failing because his book is amazing. <laughs> um, but that, that, that anthropomorphizing kind of worked in. And then the editor aspect of it, uh, journalism just fascinates me. And I find that like a um, newsroom stories are awesome. Like they're just really, I, I'm i a sucker for like an all the president's men or um, no one ever seems to remember it, but there was this film called the paper. Uh, directed by Ron Howard, and it had uh, Michael Keaton and Glenn Close and a bunch of other people in it, and they were like, it's it's like 24 hours in the day of a newsroom sort of thing. It's a, this big um, sort of like, sh- I think it was a shooting case makes the front page. Awesome film, and I remember watching that as a teen, a young teen, and just being like, oh, man, I want to work in a newsroom. I want this. Um, I think this would be so cool. And so I've always been a sucker for a newsroom story. So when Dear Editor kind of mashed together, I, I just knew I had to do it. It was it was too fun to pass up.
1: Okay. Okay. I hear in my head, I was thinking this makes a lot of sense now. Cause here in my head, I was thinking, and maybe I was giving you too much credit, like thinking maybe it was a COVID project and you were like reconnecting Ooh. with nature. No, no, it's, it's a Twitter typo.
0: It's yeah. It's it like the opposite of reconnecting with nature. It's Twitter. Um, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: You know, Bucky has that uh, little bit of extra power, you know, that kind of, it it felt in a ways sort of like a superhero book, you know, because he can sustain more punishment than a human detective counterpart would, you know, and it makes me think sort of, it's like this Batman meets a, you know, mature version of the Hardy boys, you know, like so Superman has his kryptonite. So kind of tell me, tell me about kind of what Bucky's flaws or vulnerabilities, because that's what really makes character's interesting right
0: oh completely and i think one of my favorite things about writing the three issues was was really working out what bucky's flaws were and by the end of the issues i was able to sort of go oh i can see like what his biggest problem or issue is and it's kind of his it's his best attribute as well it's it's how sort of headstrong he is and how sort of like dogmatic he will be and chasing down leads and and assuming he can get to the truth or a truth um and slowly realizing like maybe 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 sometimes he's wrong maybe sometimes he's missing an element or maybe sometimes um just because he knows something doesn't mean he needs to act on it and so it's sort of getting him out of his head slash off the page a little bit and a bit more um sort of interpersonal with it rather rather than seeing the world as stories and facts um seeing the world as this this muddy mess of people people are people are uh, you know multi-dimensional people are, are, are insane and people are different in different situations and times in their lives and so for me that was it was really fun to unpack that as i wrote it to be like oh yeah this guy's just too so um and i think uh i th- i think that's a lesson i know i could learn is to be like oh yeah you sometimes you need to step back and and get the context and get out of your own head um and so so for me that would be it, it would be that and i guess it would be you know like hunters with long range sniper rifles cuz i'm pretty certain that uh, deer don't like them as well so they they would they would or, or just headlights i guess somebody could just shine a bright light at bucky um and that might might really stump him which which i don't See? believe is a gag we play at all across the th- three issues
1: spoiler alert okay because i was looking for it as soon as you said that i was like oh okay (laughs) he's totally gonna do that yeah well i love the noir genre and this is full of you know those classic noir elements you know you you've got this rich history to pull from in said genre Mm. so you mentioned the ron howard film and and kind of the newspaper angle but you know from specific to the noir you know what were some of your influences you know that kind of found their way into this
0: yeah, I sort of um especially at that stage where I'd been I'd been trying to read lots of old um uh were they like gold medal paperbacks um okay. from like the fifties and sixties and just some really like random old stuff. Writers like um uh Day Keen is 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 a writer that I I I really appreciate. Um you know, the 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 straightforward nature of those noir plots for the character that they just think they're barreling through all of these things and as the Creator, your job is to make sure that everything out of their purview is what's swirling and swerving and, and is about to sort of trip them over. Um, and so being able to add um, just, just lots of like slowly revealed world building elements um, was definitely the sort of um, uh, inspiration that I wanted to take. There's, there's the obvious sort of um, masters of things like uh, Hammett and Chandler that um, probably for this one, maybe more Chandler than Hammett I'd be uh, drawing upon. Um, but definitely looking at, um, uh, uh, works of Raymond Chandler's, um, looking at Daykeen sort of stuff. I was thinking about Chinatown a lot when I did the first, um, issue, um, Mm -hmm. and sort of thinking about that almost, uh, neo-noir revisionism, um, that can start to come through and, and, and whether we peel back, uh, larger thoughts about, you know, society based on the world that these characters inhabit and based on sort of like the villains and, um, I guess their goals that they're also up against, um so it was sort of like a, a a melting pot of a lot of that stuff. um I guess I was also um probably reading a I'm trying to think of when when we started this uh, just how many um brubaker Phillips books we would have had. I guess we yeah. would have been well into criminal um and it's hard not to be inspired by something that's probably the best there is at at, at what they do um so I certainly love those and and also you know, going back to Tiger Lawyer, um, I found that comic such an interesting inspiration because it it was often, I think all, all the initial issues of that book were flip issues. So there were um, two covers and there were two stories and one would be a bit more of a sort of hard noir story and one would be a bit more of a like a, a, a goofy, pun-filled um, comedy story, much like a character like Tiger Lawyer certainly can endure. And I remember looking at those issues And Ryan Ferrier's amazing um, writing and instantly realizing um, I can't go down the route of the puns because I'm just not that funny. I looked at his work and I was like, man, he's such a good comic writer, um, comedy writer. Um, His other works, um, like uh, Dave at uh, IDW uh, and I want to say it was Hot Damn. He did there as well with uh, Valentin Ramon um he's just so funny and he has such a quirky worldview and he's so quick and sharp and I was like oh I don't think I can do that um but I also didn't want to for Bucky um because I didn't want to I didn't want to go down the route of like him being stuck in the headlights or any of those sorts of things and so I was more interested in going all right how do we take a character like this and make him really sort of hard-nosed and um and really 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 steer into that sort of noir aesthetic. And so that was a really fun, like conscious choice to go all right. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna draw from uh that subgenre and I, I really want to explore it. Which which is why we made it that um he's visually not really played as a gag in the book either. Like it's people like he just exists with yep. with all the other humans and at this stage there's there's no other hybrid characters in that story or world as far as we see. Um, I wanted it to be fairly straight. And in fact the only element of people really engaging with his his hybrid deer nature is that the letters that he keeps receiving at his newspaper which are basically kind of like uh bigots who don't like that he exists at all um and beyond that uh everybody just accepts him and 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 understands that he gets around with these uh these hulking great antlers uh announcing his presence everywhere he goes well it's hard to miss him it's hard to miss him yeah yeah he's, he's not he's not a great stealth operative um yeah Kinda of, kind of hard to to play that round, and I certainly don't want him uh like stumbling about in the woods naked on all fours trying to pretend he's there either. I just I, again, I don't think I can pull it off, so I won't try
1: well, kind of coming from the perspective of an Australian writer, um yeah, and you know, I have to forgive me here, you know I've got my my western aesthetic peeking in, but I just don't typically associate Noir so much, you know with that part of the world, so does Is there a blueprint? Is there an aesthetic, you know, that that sneaks its way in um, that's expressing some of those those cultural things that are definitively, you know, Australia, Oceania, something like that?
0: Yeah, when we in fact, one of the first one of the very first comic comic adjacent things I've got published was a um, was an essay called Australian Noir, and it was in the back of um, a criminal comic by Brubecker and Phillips. And, um, and in it, I talked about um, some Australian noir films and basically sort of cataloged how very, very different they are to American um, noir films. I think we, we often, for Australian noir, we, we go in sort of two directions. One is we go for The Expanse. Um, of like how how um, sort of like wide open our nation is for, for the amount of space that we have our population is so small for the amount of space we have a lot of it's nigh uninhabitable um, and so we get films like The Proposition um, which was which was a brilliant brilliant um, Guy Pearce film from I guess now it's probably like fifteen years old or more um, that's this sort of like noir western um, okay. and and it's just so it's just so open and so bleak in its colors and in its landscapes. Um, or the other way we go is we go suburban. Um, and so if we look at, I think the two films I looked at in that essay uh, for that was um, Chopper, which is um, an Eric Banner film from, I guess we'll yeah, 20 years ago now, um, where he plays a notorious uh, the real-life Australian criminal, Mark Brandon Chopper-Reed. Um, and Chopper was a real uh, storyteller and a uh, standover hard man for local criminals in uh, Victoria. And he allegedly had done many terrible things, but he's also a, just a big mouth and a bullshitter. So no one ever <laughs> really knew if he actually did a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, and so the film for that, it plays like it's, it's a very dark comedy, um, but it's okay. also hyper violent. And it also, it brings the violence into places like um, nightclubs and, and, and criminals homes, but then it also just puts them into suburban homes Um and so we often have that sort of balance, I find, with Australian um, sort of noir and crime stories that we're often going for that differentiation. Whereas when you think about sort of like a, a, a American noir, let's say, you're often thinking about it being in like big cities like New York and you're thinking mm-hmm. about it being like diamond heists or businesses or really expensive gangsters or things like that. Um, whereas if you look at an Australian film like Two Hands, uh, which was an early Heath Ledger film, uh, the main sort of like criminal Who's played by Brian Brown, who's an amazing Australian actor. Um, his his character is is this um, is this like suburban dad. He's also like a mini criminal overlord, but you also see him spending time at home um, in a very Australian outfit, which is um, I think he's just wearing like a just like a, a short sleeve button up shirt, but then he has really really short shorts on. They're yeah. um, we would call them like footy shorts, rugby shorts, but um, they're like ruggers. Um, and they're really like you're getting you're getting about eighty percent thigh exposure in these shorts. Very Australian in the summer, and he's wearing okay. those and he's wearing thongs. And uh, by thongs, I don't mean the underwear; I mean um uh, like uh, flip flops, open toed sandals. Yeah. Um, yep. And so like that's a that's a that's a very strange aesthetic for a noir um, sort of like a gangland overlord, but it plays in Australia because we we have I mean we, we obviously have a little bit of our. I would say classic noir aesthetic if we were to go into uh, capital cities like Sydney and go into, um, uh, and in fact, there was a show called underbelly that did just that. It looked at the CD underbelly of Sydney and it showed all the people, the gangsters, the mobsters that, you know, uh, wearing suits, flashing money, nice cars. Um, So I guess it happens in one or two cities. And then beyond that, where there is still crime, it's just so very, um, it's so very different. So very suburban because it's not even kind of like rural, we don't seem to have a lot of that. Um, I mean, we have a lot of rural space, but but when we think of crime stories, they seem to become suburban. I think that that's really cool. Um, it's not necessarily, it's not, I, I, I swerve a little bit into that in issue uh, three of Dear Editor, where we get a bit more of a, a, a step back of um, what I would say is the kind of fast pace of issue one, which feels a little more, hopefully, classic noir slash newsroom well listeners
1: don't worry i'm going to annotate like all these recommendations because <laughs> i want to know what they are because i think i've only seen like a quarter of this so i'll put it in the show notes because those are some great suggestions for people here
0: yeah we, 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 we got some awesome storytellers down here every now and then we see you know an australian film blow up and it makes it across the pond and we go all right that's good and then for some of them i just worry like like a film like chopper i don't know what sort of impact that had internationally but Eric Banner in that film has to be like top five acting performances of all time. He's so good in it. He's so hilarious and yet so menacing and so strange. Um, films like that, I love to see um, get a get a get a wider wider spread. So yeah, whatever, whatever links we can give to our listeners, I if they become keen in a bit of Australian crime, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. Sounds great.
1: Nice. Well, I love in here. There's a kind of delicious mixture of different periods of time. It, it, I'm anthropologist at heart so i always look at material culture oh. so you know lots of folks i talk to kind of tend to avoid technology as the introduction of it tends to take the reader out of a buy-in of sorts you know um they start asking too many questions so here we're presented yeah. though with laptops and tablets so it's current but you know mm. bucky has to go to this cd wi-fi porn grotto for lack of a better word <laughs> to, to get his work done and you know the fashion and cars feel very 80s so, how yeah. conscious were you know you thinking with all these elements in your script because they really blend surprisingly well. Most people would not try to mesh those things so much. Maybe I'm just paying yeah. close attention, but
0: no, I, I I always appreciate a reader who's smarter than me, uh, Byron. Uh, I, I, I don't, do uh, no, 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 no. don't uh, go that <laughs> far. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I think I think a lot of that I I would put on Sammy as well. Just okay. the way he designs worlds and pages they feel so organic and lived in um i I find everything everything balances and everything fits and everything matches and everything meets. his um his design sense is is so superb because yeah i wanted i i mean i'd like bucky is literally just dressed as um robert redford in all the president's men that was the that was like the character sheet I had sent to Sammy. I was like, this is how he's got to look. He's got to be Redford in that film. Uh, but with a deer head and antlers, obviously. Um, and so I went for that. And then it's like, yeah, well, we, we wanted to have, you know, there, there will be phones, there will be tablets. Um, but we don't want to necessarily constantly rely on those. I guess that comes down to, I think Bucky sometimes is a bit of a decent cipher for me where he wants to still do things analog. He's got the notepad and his pen out um, in the story. Like he wants to make sure that he's got physical copies, and and that's something that I I definitely resonate with um and push forward and and think that there is room for that here on my desk. I I have a laptop and a monitor, and then right next to it I have a dozen notebooks stacked up. Um, because I think I think our brains work differently. Well, I don't think we know that our brains work differently between the screen and between um, paper, um, there there are cognitive switching going on. And so I think a character like Bucky, who probably is a bit old school in his approach, is going to retain some of that old school element, which again then also speaks to his uh, mild closed-mindedness as well um, in certain ways, which is also then, you know, a character arc slash theme that I, I wish to explore. So we're sort of trying to get all of that to balance across um, but also then, like Chinatown and and Old Noir being being a big um, influence on this film, and we didn't want it to necessarily sing aesthetically as being um, like hyper modern. Um, you want that sort of like timelessness to it. And I guess for me, you know, we live in twenty twenty four. But when I walk down the street, at least here in in in, in my suburb. I see some really new uh, electric cars and I see some real old uh, junkers and I see everything in between. And so you hope that there's a bit of a a balance in the world of a story so that it feels a a bit more organic. I don't know. I was watching um, Gattaca the other day. Do you remember that film with uh, Jude Law and Ethan Hawke? Mm -hmm, Oh, man. I had not watched it in forever. still holds up except uh, the Jude Law character arc I found a bit strange, Um, but I won't spoil the ending. but it was really cool. But the the aesthetic of the film, I, I consciously noted that all the cars are like the same. I, I'm not a car guy. So let's just say they were 1960s aesthetic or whatever. But they were all like that. And I was like, no, oh, no, no city, no world has ever like one aesthetic. It, like I get fashion trends take over. Everybody's in a suit or it's a workplace. That sort of stuff makes sense. But no, like, we don't all just suddenly fall in line with, with our cars and with, with other things. I think that there needs to be some elasticity to that because I know that the film's very future-thinking with its, like, gene sequencing and, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke wants to go to uh, the moons of Jupiter. So we're very futuristic, but then you've got these two gumshoes who are, like, chasing down the case, and they're very much like uh, trilbys and trench coats and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so if we're balancing this very old aesthetic against the new, but yeah, I never find that any aesthetic should be a hundred percent, unless it's something that logically is mandated. Like if you're on a spaceship and there's like a uniform being given out, then it makes sense. But without cars, they're, they're our representation of, um, uh, finances. They're our representation of whether we even care about Mm -hmm. our cars. Um, all all that sort of stuff I think comes into it. because I like. I, as as we had said off air before, I teach um, like uh, uh, older teenagers. I teach English at a college and I love having discussions with them about, well, how do we present ourselves? Because some people don't want to spend money on clothes and some people really do. And some of them are like, oh, I'm saving up to buy like a really expensive car. And some are like, I I really don't care. I had one student find out that uh, the car that I drive to work is like a small, um, like a hatchback And he was so aghast. He's like, "Oh, sir, I thought you were cool. I thought you'd have like a really manly car." And I was like, "Dude, it's it's four wheels that get me to work. Exactly. I I don't care beyond that." And so I like to see that sort of stuff in characters where it's like, "Well, maybe they're rich, but they don't care, so they buy whatever car." And then there's you know the person that has to buy the Porsche because they have to present themselves in a certain way. And um, you can you can sort of take ideas and, and stuff like that and give it to Sammy. But I think Sammy intuitively. Just does a lot of that. He, he 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 keeps his eyes on fashion, on cars, on like uh you know, photography and stuff like that. He's such a such a smart, um, worldly guy that when he builds a world and he does that page, it just um it just comes through as real. That's what I always get from Sammy's work. It just comes through as, as real. And for a story about a deer man who's somehow rising the journalistic ranks at his newspaper, and it's <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, I wanted everything else to feel real. And so I think, yeah, Sammy, Sammy absolutely made that pop. So I will give all credit to him, as I should.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely giving Sammy their due. Um, I probably pay way more attention to visual aesthetic, location, topography mm-hmm. than maybe most people do. But there are these little visual elements that I love. There's one panel where Buck looking kind of square in a facial profile with a Band-Aid on his nose. But the word bubbles obscure where his antlers would be, still giving you the exact same measure of visual space that the antlers would have, that the bubbles take up. You know, so it provided that width for your eye to kind of just lock in. If that little Mm. band aid hadn't been there, you know, it would have would have missed that moment. So so well executed.
0: Yeah. No, I love working with Sammy for that reason. It's it's his um it's his small moments that just He's he's a joy to collaborate with. We've been we've been working together for uh, over a decade now, probably about 11, 12 years on on various projects. And um we we've done we've done straight crime uh with Chum at uh Comics Tribe. We've done some um some very funky sci-fi with Everfrost at um, Black Mask, and then we also did a Black Mask um uh, Beautiful Canvas, which is kind of like this crime sci-fi hybrid. And every genre where we come out together, he just manages to like invent a whole new world. And then for every moment I give him, he finds these like beautiful ways to, to make it come across. I love his facial acting. Um, and especially with Deer Editor, get that facial acting out of a deer face um, mm-hmm. to get like the timing and, and the beats. It's, it's truly staggering. Um So yeah, when we had a chance to bring this comic to Mad Cave um, and Mad Cave were really awesome about um, bringing us in and having us find a home for it. It was just really nice to come back to this and, and sort of get to reread it and, and relive it and chat to Sammy about it and um and, and get ourselves ready for the the issues to come out and then the trade uh the trade I believe will land in May as well. So okay. we'll be out uh, January, February, March, uh have a gap month and then uh, we'll do a nice little collection, which yeah it's just uh it's just one of those books where and, and I, I like I love the story and I love what we did and I love how we played with genre. But I also love how easy of a high sell um It seems to be like every convention I go to, um, my banner is Bucky behind me and people are constantly like, who's that? I need to know more. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. It means uh, I hope, but for the instant interest it draws from people, I hope I've backed a story up that actually uh, warrants them then plonking down cash and and wanting to spend an afternoon reading it. Uh, I guess you never know, but uh, I hope. I live in eternal hope.
1: I'm hooked, so I don't know what that says, but I'm hooked. All right, let's take a quick break. What in the Sam Hill is happening right now? What is that? You like bards? Oh, you like band of bards. It's not my fault, you mumble. That makes sense they're dropping some great new series right now. There's that one about a heavy metal guitarist in the 1970s with Monsters, Working Class Wizards. You know how we love Monsters around here. And my friend, Dakota Brown, he's working on a project, uh, Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech with Lane Lloyd. I saw the preview for that, that is crazy. Jimmy even contributed to their anthology from the static and had Matt Sumo on the podcast to talk about his project, The Bardic Verses, which makes a lot of sense that the project landed there. Where can you find them? You need to get out more. They are in previews, or you can visit their website, vandabars.com for all the latest. Can we turn the music off now? Thank you. No more surprises, minstrels, or anything like that, or I'll rent you out to the Ren Fair as a children's ride. Let's get back to the show. Another big visual element that kind of makes this project stand out is the, that unique selective colorization. You know, um, and, and so it's just to clarify, cause I have some, some Aussie friends who had told me they were looking forward to the color version of this. And I, I like had no idea really what they meant. Cause it, I guess it started as this 48 page black and white crowdfunded project that you were talking about in yeah. 2016. But that, that inclusion of that simple tonality added so much to me to that overall presentation. You know, Again, we've talked about Sammy, so not to take anything away from them. And I don't know yeah. if this was kind of their idea too, but that that blue adds so much textural neurons. And I'm really picky about selective colorization. Like most of the time it comes off as just a gimmick, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: totally. But but that kind of I'm gonna it's not quite, but it's a deeper, you know, cornflower blue of, of sorts. Yeah. So
0: so where did where did that come from? That was I remember Sammy um very much led that idea. of of wanting to do like the single color thing we'd initially gone black and white mostly because um like the the dual reason of like well obviously it's like it's it's quicker because you don't have to do color um and we're lazy and also it's a it's a very noir story and sammy's inks are just so lush that i was like yeah let's just do it as this black and white thing and we'd also always sort of had in the back of our head maybe if we could do a trade we we could get it colored we'd um We'd had, uh, I want to say a few pages, six, seven years ago, um, completely coloured, um, like with full colours uh, by Shari Chankama. Um, and and they'd done an amazing job of like colouring those pages. And it was really good. And I can't remember, we might have been chatting to a publisher about it. And then uh, the deal ended up falling through or whatever. Um and so we just sort of like parked it. And then when it came time to come to Mad Cave, they were like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go full colours? Um, you've mentioned uh, that maybe a spot colour, like a single colour thing. So I had a big chat with Sammy about it. And he was like, oh, I think we should go with just that, like that single colour. And from memory, there was a decent amount of back and forth as to what that exact, like colour and shade would be. Um, and whenever whenever we get into that portion um, of the discussion, basically, I just keep hitting reply or going, uh, Yeah. I'll back Sammy to the hilt. That's, they're my notes. Um, uh, Sammy's, Sammy's like, he's such a meticulous genius. He knows exactly what he wants. He, he knows like how to get it. He knows why all those sorts of things. So he'll always send in these like beautiful emails that are just really clear of like, here's what, here's what we should do. And here's how it could be done and blah, 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 blah. And so I'll just chime in as the assistant coach and be like, yeah, blue. And and let him handle it. And it's always worked out for us. Thank thank goodness, knock on wood. Um, so we got just that right blue. And then for me, I guess I was sort of I was like tossing up, yeah, would we stay black and white, would we spot color it? Would we go full color? I think full color's good, but I think then it's still it almost like just makes it just feel like any other comic, uh or like, because the majority of 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 our Western comics are um colored. And I thought it'd be nice if this comic still felt unique in the way that Bucky himself is unique in his world so what could we do and Sammy wanted the the single color sort of um tonal press on there so I was a hundred percent for it and in the back of my head the, the 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 comic that resonated as like the keystone for that style was Casanova um in its uh initial iteration had just those like single colors for for each arc and they would change it between them um so I was like totally stoked to do that and then as as Lauren asks. Um, gorgeous work just starts coming through i was like yeah we we made the the right choice completely i i think um uh, i believe and i hope every reader should be really really happy that that internal um presentation of things and fingers crossed they will be
1: yeah i loved it my job is to help like convey the awesomeness of this so i thought it was quite brilliant you know to, to, to just have that color in the non-block shading areas you've, you've got your traditional you know um but you've got that just that blue which adds this super linear um element to it uh which yeah. which adds to the visual complexity because you have to manage the lines uh those blue lines because they just stick out in a different way than yeah. if you had the whole thing colored so it you have to be really careful, especially with those antlers, that you're drawing Ooh. the viewer in the right direction. So I think I think Lauren killed it. That was really good.
0: Oh man, she's amazing. Um, I I like it's it's so good to work with people who are just kind of like at their peak. And um she's she's so delightful and works incredibly hard and is um is is so uh I don't want to use the word easy to deal with, like it's so um I don't know it's it's a delightful creative relationship there's back and forth there's taking of notes there's giving of notes um and there's like uh, smashing every single deadline like everything just sort of comes across communications great like you know that whole package you know it's it's nice to tick so many boxes when you when you're in a um a project with somebody and so yeah their work uh, just just smashes it and it brought dear editor to this new level so a book that I'd lived with and sold at conventions as black and white for years has this sort of new skin on it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is really nice." So it, it made it really feel like we'd come full circle to this, to um, feel like we were relaunching it and 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 truly putting something a, a little bit new, a little bit fresh, and yet still very very now. Which I guess came across because you thought it, it, was, it was possibly more recently done rather than the dusty old uh, tome. That... Yeah, hundred percent.
1: I mean, and uh, I will take an aside here and just compliment uh, the humbleness of your personality. Cause I noticed that like half the about section on your website talks about what Sammy or the other artists you've mm-hmm. worked with in the past, what they are doing as opposed to what you are doing. So I just want to note that I think it's really cool. So.
0: Oh, cheers. I, 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 I big know myself uh, a plenty. Um, and so <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that some of it uh, balances out. Um, I certainly do uh, believe like with comics, especially I'm so aware of what I can't do. Um, Cause I can't letter and I can't draw. I can't color. I can't even put stuff together into PDFs. I'm, I'm, I'm so useless in in these uh, projects. I can come up with goofy ideas. I can do my best to write the hell out of them. Um, I can give notes and feedback. I can support my team. Um, and they're things that I, I think all matter. I think like that's, that's what we want to do. We want it to be like a rounded uh, relationship across across these things. That's that's why that's why I like comics is so collaborative, um, and it's so awesome. It's it's never like just the one person doing something. There's always someone else coming across, and um, and I think comics is full, or at least I hope it's full of people who do that as well. I don't know. And I, I guess we'd come from a period of like you know the writer's name would be like giant and bold on the front cover, and then there'd be a title, and then there would be like oh, and with these other people that did all the hard work. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, 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 I can't do that. I can't. Uh, like, I just, I just can't. I think I'm far too aware of like being the weak link of of any project. I'm just glad to be part of the team and uh, have us all, uh, you know, locking arms and and coming forward with whatever the hell we've put together on that time. So, no, I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Well, in terms of, I'm trying to get a a perspective of exactly
1: what we're going to get because in terms of the whole length, yeah. so we started with 48 pages in 2016. The version that I got from you was thirty-two. We've got three issues, um, so I'm just trying to figure out, like,
0: oh um, yeah. So when when we did it initially, it was um, it was tablet pages because this was okay. this was in the the heady early times of iPads and tablets. And uh, again, note my laziness. I didn't want to kickstart a physical comic, um, but also I live in Australia and posting those comics anywhere is insanely expensive um it's just the worst postage postage out of here to any other country is terrible so we did digital only so those 48 um tablet pages we could then uh completely stack them vertically and each two of them would make one american standard sized comic page gotcha so then that boils down into a 24 um page comic with, with extra material or back matter or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so we're going to get three issues worth of that. So whatever that adds up to uh, 72 72 okay. story pages, and I've just been proofing the trade collection and it'll have, it'll have some back matter. And, um, um pinups and stuff like that i know when i ran the kickstarters i had a a, a bunch of amazing friends that um did like pinups of of bucky or the Dear Editor world um that we would use there so we've managed to uh, uh hold on to a bunch of those high-res files and we'll send those to print as well so yeah that's the sort of uh gendered uh maths of it all okay makes sense now yeah i was like uh okay clarification <laughs> got it
1: um well, detective fiction in comics seems really hard to me, right? Clearly yeah. really you have probably have more background with cinema and exposure in terms of that stuff even than I do. So, it's very different than than cinema or prose, especially with respect to like a grand reveal. So, that mm. pacing and panel placement seems like a big challenge, at least to me. So, were either of those things particularly difficult with with this? You know, just managing those reveals and everything like that
0: yeah definitely i i i come from i come from like i guess two spaces for this one one is uh the formalist approach and one is the kind of obtuse approach so with that formalist aspect of things um as as a reader and then as a creator i find comics really interesting in in how constraining it is Mm -hmm. um i kind of love the uh like the structure of it in like i i I often say that a, a, a page is like a a sonnet niambic pentameter it's got to have just the right kind of like beats and and weight and flow and and balance is a really big thing for me um so you've got to kind of get each of those to work as a unit block um when we when we made dear editor i i spent so long especially on the the first issue mapping it out that every scene would be four tablet pages and um that would mean two comic pages so um uh, readers might notice that the, the comic actually moves really quickly. We're constantly, basically, going from two page scene to two page scene, two page scene, two page scene, two page scene, and that was by design because I want my character getting information, going to the next scene, getting information, going to the next scene, getting information. Like that's that's uh, that's a detective trope, if you will. And what we did was we made sure that. Um, as you do with every good page you're building towards like the end point that says to the reader you need to read the next page now with tablets every page is a page turn so every half a page of, of comics basically I was trying to build to swipe across swipe across but then okay. also I trying to make sure that on top of those page turns every second page turn was even bigger um, especially the Fourth one I guess you would say every fourth one because that's the actual physical paper page turn so it sort of works out that the middle of each scene which is on the right hand side of the the printed copy should be the biggest like page turn moment where it's like what's going to happen next or what's going to happen next but each physical page will also have a bit of a beat in the middle where I wanted you to keep reading so there's all that formalist bullshit that sort of informs me and I try my best to wrangle it and make it work for me and pretend I know what I'm doing and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so that part's really, really fun. And I think that that works kind of well with detective fiction. Yeah. You're often getting like a new person walk into a scene or you're asking a question and waiting for an answer or somebody interjects with something and you're like, "Whoa, how would that be responded to? So that aspect I think works really well in a way that prose, um, which is kind of like the heart of detection, detective fiction, uh, all, all of our old crime writers, um, don't necessarily think about at all prose writers don't think about the page turn and and they just sort of like fill scenes however they want to with their words so I think comics has a mild advantage with that point which is kind of cool um so I definitely come at it from that side but then the other side is this sort of um obtuse angle which is um and this this is probably for a lot of my work I want the reader to have to kind of think and figure it out sometimes. I, I don't want to overcook over or oversell anything, and so I don't mind leaving information off the page. Um, I, I noticed recently I was watching um, Days of Heaven, the old Terrence Malick film, and it was fascinating to see just how little information he consciously um, or overtly gives the audience um i know i i I team teach with with a guy who's maybe 15 20 years older than me and he's constantly lamenting modern cinema because people will constantly be like oh i'm glad you're here sue's brother it's nice of you to take time off from your job which is at the steel mill to come here right now to talk about this murder and you go oh come on don't don't we know that already um, and I know there's an aspect of, you know, you, you need to name every character in every issue. And in real life, we don't often tell each other our names in conversation. Like I know there's certain things you have to do, but I don't like to have too much exposition. So I've kind of consciously swerved, um, like, and I've always kind of done this to my detriment or not, um, less exposition, like have the reader spend some time going, wait, Okay, what's their connection? Have I been, have I caught everything that's in there? Because I think that there's an aspect of like I guess verisimilitude to that and that that's sometimes the way the real world works and in detective fiction that's often how clues work. Like you have to be you have to be connecting dots and I think that there's an element of fun for the reader to be going, "Oh, I got to pay attention to every word here." Um I don't want it to be throwaway dime fiction. I want it to be even though a lot of the time fiction was phenomenal. Uh, I want it to be something that you have to really engage with. Um, and I'd rather, I'd rather my readers do that. I'd rather have readers that are really, really they care and they want to like dive into it. Um, and if, and if that sometimes means it's a little obtuse or um, it leaves people a little bit, uh I guess, Uh, not not knowing exactly what's going on then perhaps I haven't done the job as well as I could um, but I know that when it works as a reader or a a cinema goer or a story uh, imbiber if you will I really like that I really like the opportunity to go oh I think I can see what's being layered here and it gives me a chance to participate whereas if you watch a lot of Uh, I I won't name any specific franchise or multinational corporate billionaire type uh, companies because there's more than one, but often they will like spell every single thing out multiple times. um, They will make sure that they reference the flashback and let you hear it. And maybe even let you see it again, even though it happened like 20 minutes ago and you can probably remember it. And I think that there's a, a, a greater amount of, I guess, like, delicateness and class to a story that just goes wow i hope you bring the call back with you um and as a reader i love the opportunity to get to do that so i sort of yeah i come from those sort of two spaces when i go all right well how can comics do this really well because again comics is really constrained in how many words you can um you can put on the page and it was interesting i had a book that i did um uh a fistful of pain is this uh, graphic novel that i did Uh, at comics tribe last year uh and with an australian artist louis joyce and it was a joy to put this book together it's this weird story of two sisters who spend years fighting and dueling over the family dragon that they 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 um, harbor and look after because one wants to use the dragon for nefarious criminal stuff and one wants to use it uh in a more naturalistic way um and so we end up with this like kung fu kind of like midnight showdown in this very very strange sort of like almost grindhouse type idea now the story is the sisters and the story is heartbreak the story is how family can hurt us more than others the story is like who will get this dragon um but there's this whole backstory to it which is like why would a family have a dragon oh because there's like dragons have been rediscovered oh and there's like um uh there's 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 people that have stepped up to be like dragon herders and and they pass the dragons down and the eggs through the families. All this sort of bullshit that I don't want anyone to sit down and say in a conversation. Um does the reader need to know it-ish in the same way that the reader needs the um what's it called? The 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 info crawl at the start of Star Wars, right? Um and I love that George Lucas put that info crawl in there because his mates watched it and I think it was De Palma was like what was going on where was this story taking place give us and so he was just like "Right, i'm just going to slam you with some exposition in a crawl so what i did with the comics tribe the 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 publisher tyler james was like look it'd be great if we could have a little bit of this backstory and i was like cool let's have a double page splash with just the information let's just uh introduce the characters buy into the emotion and then i'll just say you know here's the situation and then we'll get back to the character story because that's always what interests me more Um, I love to build a world, but then I like to zero in and tell a story about people. So I put this double splash in and a a reader, um, who's a very good friend of mine, uh, he read it and we were having a beer and chatting and he goes, look, loved it. It's really cool. He goes, there was one part that I noticed in it that was really different to what you do, which is you actually gave the reader some background (laughs) information and some context to things. And he goes, it was really, uh, it was interesting to see that, you know, after everything I've read of yours and I've read everything, that you did this. Um, it just seemed out of character. And I was like, as it should, because the publisher basically asked for something of this ilk and it's really interesting that you noticed that. And he's like, yeah, no, you you, you, you very consciously leave the reader in the cold and let them basically grab the information and the context they need if not playing the character maybe it's important to me <laughs> maybe the reader thinks differently i don't know um so yeah I, and i didn't mind doing it i think tyler made the right choice and i was totally happy to put um uh the info kind of crawl on the page i actually think it's a, it's quite a nifty little thing it's a, it's another tool that you know it's always fun to play with something um but uh ultimately i'm like well no in 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 a detective story let's say we don't need to have it's this year and it's this city and, and Mayor Jackson has been doing this for five years. Well, that's, that's not what the reader needs. The reader needs to come in and discover this world in the way that Bucky discovers this case. Um, Even though Bucky would obviously have a lot more context. So um, yeah, I guess that's a very long winded way of me sort of explaining why comics rule. Um, Comics can do the best stuff out there. It can be uh, crystalline and delicate. It can be, beautiful both in story and visually um it can kind of be anything i mean find me find me a comic creator who's not making comics because they love it because you know we're not doing it for the cash that's for sure so it's not it's not the medium for that we uh uh we could definitely uh peddle our wares in a few other places i mean i know novelists don't all make a lot of money either um but it's a, it's it's a cool field to play in. And um and I think I've been really happy with how it's worked detective slash crime wise.
1: Sorry, my mic was some, for some reason muted. I got weird. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I mean I, I thought it was great um because you comics and have that ability to to make you buy into something that with prose you would never buy into as as suddenly right? yeah. You got this big deer guy on the front cover. Well, if you pick it up and you buy it, you know what you're going to get. So you don't need to fill in everything else, right? You're already yeah. bought into this outlandish premise. So everything yeah. else, once you get that buy-in is is golden.
0: Pretty much. And I, I still remember I had, a, <laughs> I had a reader come up to me at a convention and he was like, dear editor, dude, love it. So tell me, where did Bucky come from? And I was like, no, nah, I don't know. And they were so <laughs> upset. What do you mean you don't know? I was like. I, I I don't know how exactly they they were created or came into being. And they were just like, this is horrifying. And I'm like, no, not really. I just had to accept that he was there and he was ready for this story to be told at this point in his life. And I just ran to daylight. Like, it took me probably four years. I was writing another project, Beautiful Canvas, uh, with Sammy at Black Mask, and we were doing this back matter thing um, Uh, where we would always like add different random information or we'd do like different things. And we were doing, I want to say it was like a newspaper page or something. And so I was writing this little byline and I basically came up with what would be the origin story for Bucky, like the the origin of the corporation and the experimenting with like animal hybrids. And as I was doing it, I was like, this is where Bucky came from. There you go. I knew I'd figure it out eventually. But right now for the story that's hitting shelves, his origin doesn't come into it. So I hadn't sweat it, which again, could play into my laziness. I'm, uh, I'm never going to lie. I'm, I might be a little bit lazy, but it also was something where I was like, well, I don't know. I, I just did. I didn't have it and I didn't want to lock it in. And I knew it wouldn't affect the page at the moment. So yeah, that poor that poor person at the convention was just like, you don't know what you're doing. And I was like, you're correct in in every facet you could think of. 100%.
1: <laughs> That's when you're like, well, there's some X-Men down here if you want everything yeah. entirely spelled out.
0: War? Oh, man, absolutely. And yeah. I grew up reading the older Hot Moves. I love the old uh, official handbooks um, as much as the next guy. But every now and then I'm just like, no, I I, I, I like having a bit of fluidity, to stuff. So when it's time, I'll be like, oh, I need it to be, I need the origin to be something different. I'm glad I didn't lock it in with a throwaway expositional, like, line from his senior editor or some stupid shit like that.
1: Well, I'm trying to get a perspective, because comics are now a a global, you know, uh, integrative mm. medium, right? Um, and I'm trying to get a perspective of what the market looks like there. I've got, you know, a few Aussie Comics creator friends um, oh, that yeah. kind of keep me a little bit in touch with it. But I'm curious about, in terms of, like, mainstream western exposure what the logjam might be you know what what are the barriers from a development perspective um from over there getting stuff here or europe or wherever
0: yeah do you mean for like us as creators
1: yeah yeah like uh, it just seems like i'm not seeing as because there's there's some amazingly talented people there like honestly yeah i think everybody that i've met that's a creator from from that part <laughs> of, of the woods if you will it's fantastic yeah so you know i'm just trying to figure out why it doesn't get to us as, as as readily or why it doesn't seem like that voice is as loud shall we say as there's right now there there's a ton of let's say artistic talent specifically that's coming to the mainstream from south america from italy especially where they have you know lots of schools and that makes sense there yeah. but i'm just kind of curious into what what your feeling is in terms of just the barriers to to the market as somebody who is Australian and trying to get their work out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think to an element there is just that sort of um, distance, which even though it has been broached a lot by the internet and social media, um, and I'm certainly very thankful that I've I've come into the comic making game while the internet exists <laughs> and while Twitter was. I, I cannot fathom how anyone could have done it from Australia before then without just shelling out a lot in airfares. And a lot of the creators that I do know, even who are just uh, sort of starting even just a bit before me, they did shell out a lot of money in airfares and they would go to San Diego and New York every year. They would take portfolios and they would chat to people and they would slowly get their name out there. Um, And so when I think about, and I've done the same, I've gone to Seattle twice uh, for Emerald City Comic Con, uh, mostly because San Diego and New York just seem unfathomably large. Um, and I, I have less interest to be at, at something like that. I feel like I would get washed away. Um, but as as someone who's done that, it, I know it made a decent difference for me. Um, I, I certainly had a lot of support from some really awesome comic creators that I was coming up with. I saw um, Ed Brisson was on this show just like a week ago. He yeah. he's a he's a fella I've known since way back when, and. Uh, he's been so so supportive and so lovely. So there's people like him. Um, uh, Christopher Sabela um was a guy I knew way back when. And so when I turned up in Seattle, he was so lovely to be like, oh, um, Ryan, I'm gonna introduce you to this person because I know basically um you might not be back in America like in a while. Um and in fact it took four years before I did go back. Um so he was really nice in 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 introducing me to people. Um so there's elements like that, that can that can happen. So if you're an Australian creator and you don't have money and it's thousands of dollars to get across to a convention, um, you can meet, you know, editors online, you can slush pile work in, you can do stuff like that. But it really does feel like a bit of a drop in the pond. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that FaceTime is kind of the the, the best time. I know um, a lot of my initial deals and interactions that that made it through comics were with people that I either met or got to have like really really continuous um like emails or even phone calls or like uh, zoom calls with and so to be unable to do that from australia it actually is it, it does make it i think a decent barrier um but when i look at the people that have managed to get across um and and start work when i think about people like um uh, nicholas scott who's, um, I think, last thing was, uh, I forget the full, full title, but one of the Amazonian Wonder Woman books with Kelly Sue Um Tom Taylor, obviously, who writes, I don't know, everything. Um, everything. Yeah, you got uh, John Someriva that's done a bunch of, like, Turtles and um, uh, the Batman Turtles crossover. Um, Dave Yarden that's, that's done a, a, a lot of covers and stuff like that. Uh, Tristan Jones, who did like a bunch of aliens work. Um, when I look at these creators that did make it out of Australia, they um, they often were shelling out money. They were just ponying up thousands of dollars of cash to get themselves across there, um, and that's it's it's a hard thing to do because it's um, it's a gamble. I know the first time I went across to America. Um, I felt really bad and guilty about spending that money. Um, my second child had literally been born like less than a fortnight before I flew out. Um, and I felt terrible. Um, but I, I, I booked the tickets like months. Although to be fair, I, I was just about to book the tickets and then we found out, uh, my wife was pregnant and I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go. And to her full credit, she was like, absolutely not. You've been building up to go across. You've been getting stuff together. You've been writing scripts. You're going to have your your first comic um, printed and ready. She was like, it'll be fine. Um, go. Um, we didn't realize that uh, the birth would be very late. Um, so instead of me leaving like a one month old, I left like an 11 day old kid and Ish. I felt really bad. Um, yeah. And, and I felt bad taking that money, you know, from the family unit, but it was something that, you know, I'd, I'd put a lot of time into, and we'd saved for, and and and, and I wanted to do, it. and it, and it did help. I think from there, you know, I did. I got my first mini series to land with uh, Monkey Brain, which was great. I worked with Eric Zavadsky on on that book, Headspace, and he's still a, a great mate of mine, and and we want to do more together. So these sorts of connections really work. But um, we used to get the odd editor come out to conventions in Australia. We had Bobby okay. Kurnow from uh, IDW come out. We had um, Scott Elliott Dark Horse when he was there. and We had Chris Ryle from IDW um, come out. Those were really, really handy opportunities. Um, and shockingly, to be honest, it felt like those editors came out and not everybody, like, blocked to them and bothered them, which confounded me a little bit this is your opportunity to make that FaceTime that's normally so expensive and often felt like they were kind of left alone and i don't know if that's a uh, an australian shyness not wanting to bother I, th- I think we still you know we we walk a path behind america but i think we still have these british roots in us where we don't want to bother um we don't want to be in the way we don't want to look too forward like uh, too, we don't want to be uh, cocky or anything like that um And so, yeah, like trying to like push our work out and be like, this works awesome. You need to see this work. I'm going to send it to editors can be hard, Um, but it does happen. And so then I guess the the other side of the coin of that is in Australia, there are just people making insanely rad comics and they end up in some local stores and they end up on the convention circuit and maybe they end up online, Um, but they don't often find an international publisher because we don't really have any international publishers here. And then that work can very easily just be kind of like never seen by ninety percent of the comic reading world which is which is nuts like yeah. there there's as as you said, there's so much talent down here, and there's so many books that I've read um like on the convention circuit and so many talents that uh, it, it sort of never goes anywhere but um yeah i don't I don't know i i I think some of it's like opportunity I think a lot of it is like you know it's 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 luck in in the way that luck is opportunity meets preparation so if i look at like tom taylor as um like our probably our most successful writer in the comics field um he got really lucky to land colin wilson to draw his first comic um but also it wasn't just blind luck he had a script he was already a good storyteller um he he was polite and nice with colin and colin's an absolute dude so that worked out and then whenever he's gotten opportunities to write for like uh, a Marvel or a DC or a Power Rangers crossover or anything, um, he doesn't just fall ass backwards into it. He's, he's ready and he does hard work. And um, uh, as much as it pains me to say it, he's an exceptionally good writer. Um, and so he's he's ready to do what he needs to do in those situations. So, yeah, I, I find it difficult because um, I, I feel like I sit in like a, Uh, like a middle world i've found some success with us publishers um which i'm so eternally grateful for um but i also feel like uh i don't know no nothing's ever sparked huge um but uh, but i've always managed to get gigs i've always managed to tell stories that i really love and i'm really personal and passionate about so that in itself is like a huge win but then i also feel like an absolute hack and i'm certain that these opportunities will dry up at any moment um but 10 years in uh, they haven't yet. So I sort of find uh, I feel a bit lucky, but I'm hoping that that luck is that I just perhaps put in a lot of hard work before an opportunity arose. you know? So yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, yeah,
1: 100%. Well, let's circle back to Dear Editor. Um, it certainly sounds like from chatting here that you have more to tell, should you be given the opportunity. Is that safe to say, to, to explore this world beyond three issues?
0: If, if uh, given the opportunity, absolutely. Sammy and I are uh, very committed to this character and world and um, have a few uh, story ideas. We'd be batting back and forth. And uh, you know what? If sales are really positive, that would, that would sure send a message to a plucky young publisher looking to make success with picking up a comic like Dear Editor. So who knows uh, what the future could hold? let's hope so i i think mad cave is killing it we
1: we love to cover Mad Cave books and they're doing a great job with with pr and marketing so you know fingers crossed and i'm trying i'm here i'm talking i'm trying i i I sing the praises to
0: everybody so well i'll back that up i really like working with mad cave i've i've worked i've worked with enough publishers that i like to know what i like and mad cave are just like they're just they're good to deal with um i've quite enjoyed i did speed republic with them uh, two years ago uh, uh emmanuel parascandolo uh, illustrated that one and it was this high octane like car race character exploration story it was awesome it was so much fun and they were great to deal with then and then uh, Chaz chas pangburn has been brought in as uh, i think senior editor as the official role and um he's yeah. a guy I've known since forever and so i uh, was lucky enough to get the editor in with him um and and even up the chain to chris fernandez they're all like you're dealing with people that i get this vibe they just you know they're loving comics they want to get good work out they want to work with good people um it's kind of nice i i i like working with a publisher where i'm like yes you are another piece of this collaborative puzzle that i just dig it started with sammy and i and our respective basements i mean i wrote dear editor one on my phone um way back when, uh, while walking around my neighborhood with my, with my uh, daughter and like a baby Bjorn so that I could let my wife sleep. So I was wandering around in like the darkness, um, with like a phone to light my way. And I was writing this first issue. I wrote all the first issue on my phone. And so between that and Sammy and I bullshitting back and forth to then bringing in Lauren, bringing in Jim, uh, Campbell on, on letters, my initial editor, Dan Hill is, um, like one of my long, longest friends in comics um, uh, and then getting Chaz, who was a guy I knew before, and it's been a joy to work with him. And then to have Chris uh, as, as, you know, a publisher at Mad Cave, everyone in this whole thing, uh, in, in, up to and including Phil um, Hester, doing the variant cover that you can only get on Mad Cave's site. Um, I actually have the phil hester dear editor variant cover artwork in my office at the moment um because phil hester is an absolute dude and i managed to uh uh get this gift from from god slash phil um he's just another 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 joy into this project like everything about this book um just feels like just the right people knitting together to make the right thing which i've loved writing and it's the sort of thing that i know if i saw it on a shelf i would instantly pick up because that's kind of like the only thing I know how to write is the thing where I'm like, oh, I'd be so jazzed to read this. I better make it. So yeah, Mad Cave, um, good value. And it's been nice to have discussions with, um, I'm sure you know enough creators where you know we all kind of talk in oh, yeah. back channels and be like, oh, watch out for this publishing deal. Watch out for this or that. Um, the amount of discussions I've had where I'm like, Mad is good, yeah? And other people are like, yeah, 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 it's good. And you're all you're always like, all right we're 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 on the same page yeah yeah we are this is like they got a good deal or they got good people or they got good pr or they got good like everything going on so um yeah it's kind of cool I, i'm sure the readers don't don't care <laughs> they just want a story or whatever but i don't know I, I always like a publisher where when i see their logo i'm like oh this will probably be be an interesting book or a good book if nothing else it's you know it's a it's a, it's an imprint. It's a it's a stamp of quality, and I think Mad Cave are doing that more and more um, with every year that goes by, and they're just smashing it.
1: Super smart. I'll uh, I'll throw up here this wonderfully visual medium of a podcast, but you can see I'll describe it. So <laughs> they sent me the reporter's notebook for uh, dear editor here with the Mad Cave logos, news reporter's notebook. You know, it's what maybe okay. Yeah. I'm going to do inch, inches. Sorry, uh, it's like four by ten. Yeah, I yeah, know. Sorry. Americans, we have to do things our way. But anyway, this was a great piece of marketing, you know, just to... Yeah, really clever, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so smart. Well, Dear Editor, Issue 1 is out now. Um, So you're saying Issue 2 drops
0: February and then... Yeah, that'll be next month. I'm i going to say mid-late Feb and then same for March. Um, And then uh, some stage in... I'm pretty certain it's in May. So I guess it'll be hitting solicits. Maybe solicits are up this week. I'm clearly not very good at my job, but I'm sure it's coming. Yep. But I know the book will be out in May, Um, and then yeah, it'll be like this long-running game Sammy and I have had about when are we finally going to get this Bucky story really done? You know, once once something's got a spine on it, you're like, all right. Now the case is closed. Um, We finally come to that point this year, so I really hope readers. um, I mean, you can see Sammy's cover for this comic from like across. Your comic shop—it's red, it's eye catching. It's got Bucky like right there, and then the whole like noir aesthetic to it is just beautiful. Sammy's work is so good for that. Um, it, it'll hopefully jump out at you. I hope your stores uh, you know ordered uh, enough so that they're sitting on the rack waiting for you, or you pre-ordered through them, which means you're an absolute boss. Um, <laughs> and I hope people dig it. That's that's all I can ever hope for with the story. I hope they really um, they come to play and enjoy their kind of mild insanity that we have formed on the page. Well,
1: I publicly went on record already saying this is, you know, probably going to end up being one of my favorites of the year that I'm going to be talking about on our award show at the end of the year. And Jimmy, the other co-host was just a little bit mad that like I got to talk to you and he didn't. So, like, <laughs> Jimmy's a dude I,
0: though. Jimmy, Jimmy's solid. I, I got yeah. all the time in the world
1: with Jimmy. Okay. Well, I'll let him know that. Then you guys can talk food as he tends to do for a long time.
0: <laughs> It's always the same Australian cuisine that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get to talk about it enough. So uh, I'm
1: down. He's more the expert of that. Unfortunately, with my mm. autoimmune condition, my diet is not at all interesting at all. It's very repetitive, <laughs> but keeps me stable. Yeah. That's what counts. So uh, that, where can people uh, find you benefits. online?
0: Yeah. Where can people find you online? Um, I, I usually just say if you plug in Ryan K. Lindsay anywhere, you'll find me. Um, which is probably still true. I just might be less active wherever you find me. So if you go to RyanKLindsay.com, that's like the home base. Uh, I'll always kind of be there doing a little bit of something. Um, And from there, I've got like a newsletter. Um, Most social media I have just kind of dropped, to be honest. I still exist there. Um, But I think those pandemic years just burnt me out. I was like, no, I could... I could uh, I could rewrite my brain right now, and I could put it into harder work. So um, you could definitely check me out at my site. Get the newsletter, which goes out, you know, maybe two three times a month. Tells you what I'm up to, or what I'm reading, or uh, what I'm writing. So uh, hopefully people dig it. Um, it always seems to be a, a bit of a, a bit of a therapy purge for me to put it down and send it out into the world. So I always appreciate that as well. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely pitch your
1: newsletter um, because I follow that, and Ryan's got some. Absolute great recommendations that he's dropping all the time. For instance, I was unaware actually of spectators. The, you know, Brian K. Vaughn yeah. and, and Nico Heinrichsen. I don't know if I'm
0: pronouncing yeah. that correctly,
1: but yeah, I haven't got a chance
0: to check that out. It's now on my list. So thank you for that. It's it's really good. And I know I, I'm a bit of a Brian K. Vaughn like fanboy. I, I tend to like love a lot of his like absolute greatest stuff, but spectators has been really Really interesting. A little bit unhinged. Nico's art is so good in it. So um I I am glad then that you get to discover that. Um And that, you know, something I wrote actually, you know, actively helped another human in the world, because I think sharing that comic is a help. So that is really cool to hear. Thanks, mate. A hundred. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, see, you do it and yeah. people pay attention. At least I did. That's it. That's, hey, that's hey, if you count. can help. As, as a teacher, I understand sometimes you're only going to reach one person, but if you do, that's a win. So I'm all for it. It's
1: a low I bar I
0: give myself just to get through each day. <laughs> I, I can feel that 100% given my
1: lupus condition. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. All right. Yeah. Well, Ryan,
0: thanks for hanging out with me on the show today. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. No, I, man, I've had a blast. Thank you so much for, for having me on. It's a, it a very cool way to wind down my holidays. All right.
1: Well, this is Byron O'Neill. And on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.